morning, everyone. If you have a Bible or something like that, you can open it to the book of Acts. That's the fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, we'll be starting in chapter 3 in just a moment, chapter 3, verse 11. But before we do any of that, let's pray together, okay? So, Lord, we want to say thank you for the things that you have predestined to occur in these moments. Believing that you have brought us from different locations, different places, uh, geographically and financially and racially and all these things, and you've brought us into this one place for this particular time in this particular moment to hear your word that you've preserved for us these 3,500 years. So, Lord, as we look into it this morning, we pray that you would build brick upon brick, precept upon precept, as you always do, but that in addition, for those few, Lord, that you would bring transformation those that are desperate for change or maybe those that will be caught uh, somewhat off guard. Lord, we're praying that this would be a point of deflection, that their lives would never be the same again. So, Lord, take your word and do with it what you would this morning. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So just to give you a little bit of context of these verses I'm going to be sharing with you in just a moment, uh, this is in the line of our study in Acts. Uh, Pastor Tom, two weeks ago, Pastor Dave preached last week, uh, but Pastor Tom, the week before that, uh, spoke on uh, the healing of the man uh, at the temple gate, the beggar at the gate. And so this section picks up in verse 11. This is where Peter stands up once again and begins, begins to give his testimony of the risen Christ. He was already, he's already spoke one after Acts chapter 2 in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and those sort of things. Peter stands to his feet and begins to testify there. But here again, um, he finds himself in the same place, having to get up and kind of explain what God is doing in uh, their midst. I think it's important to understand from the very beginning that Peter is not a, an evangelist. He's not a pastor. He's not a teacher. He's not uh, uh, barely an apostle. Uh, he is a fisherman. He's a blue-collar worker like you and me, so to speak. He's not a professional. He is a witness for Jesus Christ. And what happens at the temple and the healing of this man, it's like the accidental missionary that Peter and John are walking along. Their purpose in their hearts that they're going up to the temple. They see a beggar alongside the temple wall or by the temple gate. And you've heard this story before in Sunday school. Uh, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and starts walking, starts leaping and shouting and praising God. This is a notable miracle. 
So Peter rises to his feet and begins to address the crowd that is there. Of course, there's, a, there's an onslaught of people, you know, wanting to know what's going on. They're even hanging on Peter and John. And Peter simply begins by saying, guys, listen, this is not of me. This is done through Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell that, that uh, account, which we'll get to in just a second. But again, I want you to see that Peter is merely a witness. He's not a, he's not a, a professional. He's just simply giving witness of the risen Christ. Now, I think there are some things, in, by way of introduction, there are some things that we have to understand about being a witness. God calls and equips people to be evangelists in the body of Christ, like he calls them to be pastors and teachers and, and prophets and apostles. God equips, he gives those gifts, gifts to the church, Ephesians 4 tells us. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. You know you're probably called to be an evangelist if you're laying hands on people in hot tubs and stuff like that. You're <laughs> probably called to be an evangelist. But if you don't like those kind of things, you may not be an evangelist, but I know this for certain, that you are called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. A witness for Christ is simply someone who gives testimony of the things they've seen and heard. It's just it's just a matter of telling others what God has done in your life. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But here are the important parts of being a witness that, that I want to do say again by way of introduction. Here's the first part. These are the characteristics. The first one is knowing. Knowing. That the witness of Jesus Christ needs to know Jesus Christ. That this is the first step in coming to him is that we begin a relationship with him. You'll remember when Jesus is calling his disciples in Mark chapter 3. Um, they're about halfway through the chapter. He says that he called these to be with him and to send them out to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to do these other things. Now, my mind almost always skips over that first part and goes to the second part because that's what I want to do. I want to heal the sick. I want to raise the dead. I want to cast out demons. I want to do those things. But Jesus says first that he called them to be with him. Guys, this is primary. This is the most important thing of anything we'll do as we, as we follow Christ. In fact, this, uh, let me say it this way. Nothing you hear from this pulpit will work if we don't know Jesus. Nothing you read in popular literature, nothing you read in your Bible, if we do not have a relationship with him, it's not going to work. That's number one, that we know him. You'll remember uh, John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. Jesus speaking here saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. He says, this is the will of the Lord, that you uh, bear much fruit. And here's the progression. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Those three things are listed in John chapter 15. Fruit, more fruit, 
and much fruit. And by this is the Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Well, how does that happen? Through being connected to Christ, to having this relationship with him that changes everything and that everything is predicated upon, that we must have that first and primary, and without it, nothing else seems to work. So in being a witness, this is number one, that we first of all know him, that we're growing in him, that we're developing a relationship with him. Let me be very practical at this point. This means that we will have to have a daily relationship with him. That means that we're going to have to seek him every day, that we're going to have to develop that relationship with him every day, that we're going to be in his word because when we're in his word, we see him. We're going to have to be in prayer because when we pray, uh, he speaks to us. And so these are the very practical things that, 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 goes along with being, that goes along with knowing him. Again, this is elementary, rudimentary. At the, at the foundation is knowing him. As witnesses, we must know him. On top of knowing is this idea of going. And what I mean by going is like uh, how the Spirit of the Lord came to so many of uh, the witnesses in the New Testament where it says, uh, arise and go. That's a common phrase found again and again. Arise and go. It's not necessarily the idea of leaving for Africa or India or some faraway place. It's the idea of being intentional. That God has called us as his witnesses. Think again about Peter at the, at the gate and the beggar that was healed. These guys weren't on a mission. They weren't maybe even thinking about healing on that day, but they were on their way to the temple, and along the way, they see someone, and God decides to heal through them. It makes me think of an experience I had not too long ago with a fellow. We were at, uh, eating lunch at Red Robin, and we're in one of those booths that come along the hallway as you come in, and I'm talking, and uh, he's listening, but all of a sudden I see that. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of losing him a little bit. He's distracted. He's looking over my shoulder and he's looking past me. And, and so I raise my voice a little bit and try to make it sound a little more interesting and it's no go. He's looking past me. And uh, so finally I'm, I pause. And as I pause, he gets up out of his seat and he stops a man walking, into the, walking past us. And he goes, hi, how you doing? And the guy goes, hey, I'm doing great. How you doing? And he goes, I noticed your leg. Did you hurt your leg? He had a cast on his leg. He goes, hey, I noticed you hurt your leg. And uh, uh, the guy goes, yeah, I did this, and I had to have surgery, and this has happened and that. And he goes, you mind if I pray for you? And the guy says, no, go ahead. So he kneels down on one knee and puts his hands on the guy's knee. And I'm sitting right there at the table watching all this. He puts his hand on the guy's knees and prays in Jesus' name, be healed, be set free, be made whole, and bam, he's done. And he gets up and he says, he says thanks for letting me pray. And the guy says, you're welcome. Glad, glad you could do it. And the guy walks that way and he sits down in the booth uh, by me and I go, who was that? He goes, I have no idea. But just something happened in that moment that he felt like this would be a good idea. This would be, uh, the, the timing seems right. Now, we might not all rise to that occasion, 
But God will use us if we will stay sensitive to him. So this first one is, uh, is knowing. The second one is going. Of just being attentive. Attentive to what God might be doing in our lives as witnesses. The third thing a witness is, a part of the witness's life, is showing. There is nothing that is more powerful than an example. And so as believers, we are to live our lives out in front of one another. I've shared this with you before, but, but years ago I went on a Boundary Waters canoe trip and one of the guys that I went with was the head of radiology at the UW Hospital. And this guy would come around after we ate and take our dishes down by the water's edge and kneel down and clean all our dishes and then bring, us, bring them back to us. After every meal, that was his job, that he would take these and he would go down there and he would kneel down and in the water he would clean these dishes and then bring them back to us. Guys, although that happened nearly 30 years ago, I still have this mental picture in my head about him kneeling down Cleansing, or cleaning our dishes and then bringing them back to us. Guys, it, it taught me so much about the humility of Christ and the humility that I should have in my life. That example was worth a thousand words. Nothing like that has spoken to me before or since that time. An example is a powerful thing, but God calls us more to more than just an example. Let me illustrate. Um, I was talking to a, a buddy of mine, and he was telling me about how he is an example of living for Christ. And we were talking about winning the lost and some other things like that, but, but it got to this idea of how he is an example for winning, winning the lost. And he said, you know, I keep my lawn mowed, and so I keep that really clean, so that's a good testimony for Christ. And, and when I leave to go out of the house on Sunday mornings at about 10 o'clock, they have to know I'm going to church, so that's a great testimony. And when I yell at my wife, I don't do it outdoors, so that's a good testimony too. So I thought, I thought, that's all good. That's all good. I'm glad that you're doing that. But listen, at some point, we're going to have to say something. At some point, God's going to call us to say something. It might not be uh, every time in every situation, but at some point, we're going to have to testify for Christ. And so this last part of being a witness is simply this. It's the idea of sowing. So we have knowing, going, showing, and sowing. This last part is sowing that we actually come to the part where we're telling somebody about Jesus. Now, it's not our, our, um, our, our uh, obligation to convince anybody. That's not our obligation. That's the advocate's obligation. It's his oblig obligation to convince people and to convict people. It's our obligation to testify. That's our obligation. So I shared with you a couple years ago, uh, some of you may not remember, uh, a story about something that happened to me when I first started in ministry. I was driving the school bus for a vacation Bible school, and uh, a young girl got off the bus and ran across the street, got hit by a city truck, and uh, spun her to the, to the curb. And, of, of course, um, ambulance came and all of this. She's, she's doing well. She's, she's healed. Of course, this was many, many, many years ago. Uh, 
But some lawyer got a hold of, of uh, the mom of this girl. And so they were suing uh, me for driving the bus uh, wrongly. Uh, they were suing the church because I worked for the church. And they were suing the city because it was a city uh, truck that hit her. So I get called in to do a deposition. A deposition is where you come in and you tell your story. You tell what happened. Now, now that I've done that once, I would do it a lot different now. But at the time, I'm a young guy. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm thinking we're all friends. You know, go in and talk and tell them and leave, you know, leave and that sort of thing. I go into this room that's like 15 by 15 with like a dozen lawyers packed into it. And a stenographer off into the side, you know, doing all the, the uh, stenography off to the side. And I'm like, as soon as I saw this group, I thought, this is not going to go well. I didn't know who was for me. I didn't know who was against me. I didn't feel like I had an advocate. I didn't feel like I could even look on expressions on people's faces to see if I was saying the right thing. I just had to say what I had seen and heard. And so I began to give my testimony, and I told them exactly what had happened. This happened, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. And when I was done, they said, okay, Greg, you're, you're done. Thank you for coming in. Uh, and I left. Guys, this is what we do as witnesses, is that we are simply giving testimony of the things God has, has uh, done in our lives, the things that we have seen and heard. The advocate will prove those things, but our job is to testify as a witness, that we testify of the things that God is doing. Now, this begs the question, if we are to testify, what is that that we testify about? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have an answer for that. So let's look at our passage today. There in uh, Acts chapter 3. It says this, starting at verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter, this is the man that was healed... While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, and why do you gaze at us as if by our own power and piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for this murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So I see a number of things here. Peter actually speaks five times in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 10. And in each one, he is testifying of Christ. He is a witness for Christ. Remember, he is not a professional. He is a fisherman. He is just, he is just testifying. He's just being the witness that Christ has called him to be. Remember Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So Peter knew that he was God's witness and so he stands up and speaks. And here are the things that he says. Number one, he gives a testimony of miracles. A testimony of miracles. Now I wanted to say this in a brief way so you could remember it. But really what I mean by this is Peter is giving a testimony to the grace of God in his life. To the working of God's grace in his life. In this case, the miracle is plain. The miracle is a guy being healed, being set free from whatever was ailing him. He gets up, he's made whole. This is a testimony that Jesus is alive. In fact, God's healing, God's miracles, God's works of grace in our life point directly to the truth of Scripture and the validity of God in the world. It says at the end of chapter 16 of Mark, it says, and these signs will accompany them. They will, um, um, they will, I think it says they will speak with new tongues. Um, they will, um, boy, I shouldn't have started quoting this. <laughs> Let me just turn to it since I've already started it. It's at the end of Mark, Mark chapter 16. It just, it says simply this. Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. Here we are. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And at the end of the chapter, it says, and the Lord went with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders that followed. Guys, this is a part of what God's doing in the earth. God is restoring his gifts and his power to the church in these days. Now, we might not see at this time, we might not see all the miracles that we read about in the Bible. But listen, Jesus said, these things you will do and even greater things than these. So in the fullness of time, we'll begin to see even more healings, more of God's work in our midst. And these work as a testimony to the validity of God in the world and a confirmation of his word. Guys, we need signs and wonders. We need miracles. We need to be testifying of God's work in our life. Just, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, Pastor Tom uh, led us in prayer for one another as we prayed for one another about back pain. Tom thought that maybe a hundred people would be healed on that day, and maybe there were a hundred on both services and online. But this I know for sure. My wife Sandy, who was sitting next to me before this was even brought up in the service, leans over to me. She's kind of fidgeting back and forth in the pew. She leans over to me and she goes, my back is killing me. And uh, the service is going on, and then pretty soon Pastor Tom's asking for people to stand up that has back pain because we're going to pray for everybody with back pain. So Sandy leans over to me and goes, well, I guess, I guess the Lord's talking to me, you know. So she gets up, stands. Some of the ladies from behind her come down, lay hands on her, pray for her. She is immediately healed. The pain is taken away, and the pain hasn't returned since that two weeks ago. 
Guys, that's the Lord's involvement in our life. That's his desire to confirm his word with signs and wonders following. And that's exactly what's happening here. That Peter starts out by focusing on what has happened. And three of the five times that he speaks in the book of Acts, he refers back to a miracle or a work of grace that happened previously. And he uses that testimony of God's goodness and God's grace as a leap-off point to share the gospel with those he's around. This is number one for the witness, that we share the testimony of what God is doing in the world and in our lives. There's power in God's uh, healing and deliverance and grace. Let me illustrate that. So going way back to the time of Moses, Moses is called in the desert, and he sees a bush, a burning bush. This bush is, being, is burned, but it's not consumed. And Moses is there, and he's taking off his sandals, of course, because it's holy ground and that sort of thing. And, and God says to Moses that you are going to deliver my people from Israel. And Moses responds in this way. He says, but God, what if they won't believe me? Now, that's really probably a good thing to ask, you know. That he's sending them, well, what, what? Yeah, I can go and say I'm going to deliver you, but what if they don't believe me? God says this to Moses. He goes, he goes, uh, take your staff. Moses got his staff. He goes, now throw it down to the ground. So he throws his staff down to the ground. Staff turns into a snake. God says, okay, pick up your staff. So Moses catches it by the tail, picks it up, and becomes his staff again. Like, wow, okay. Here, do, do this, Moses. Take your hand put it inside your cloak. Okay, now take it out of your cloak. Takes his hand out. It's leprous. Moses is thinking, boy, I like that first miracle a lot better than this one. <laughs> he goes, take your hand, put it back in your cloak. He takes his hand, puts it back in his cloak, takes it out. It's, it's healed again. This is what God says to Moses. If they will not believe the first sign, they will believe the second sign. Moses, God is saying to Moses basically this, that you are to go and testify of the things that I put in your heart and I will confirm that word with signs and wonders following. The same thing happened with Elijah on Mount Carmel, First uh, Kings uh, chapter 18. When he faced the 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah says that he was the only one left, the only one that was still serving God. Now that probably wasn't true, but in Elijah's mind, he was the only one left against 450 prophets of Baal. And so he's telling the people, choose today whom you're going to serve. Either serve the God of Baal or serve Yahweh, our Lord, but choose today. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to make it easy for you. We're going to take two oxen, we're going to put this oxen on this altar, this oxen on this altar. The 450 prophets of Baal, you come and pray and ask Baal to come and consume that offering with fire. And on this altar, we'll put an oxen and we'll drench it, drench it with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. We'll drench it with water until it's running off the sides. And then I will pray and ask Yahweh to come and send his fire. And whichever God sends the fire, that's God who is God. That's God who's God. You know what I mean. So 
So the 450 prophets of Baal, they come out and they begin to pray and to ask ask uh, Baal to send fire, and Baal's not doing it. They start in the early morning. They go past noon. In early afternoon, Elijah begins to taunt them, saying, where is God? Where's your God? Is he, is he far away? Is he, is he asleep? Is all, the, all these things? And, and Baal is not doing anything. So late in the afternoon, Elijah finally has had enough of this and calls upon Yahweh, the Lord God. And in a moment, God sends his fire and consumes the sacrifice. And you know what the response of the 450 worshipers of Baal are? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is the power of signs and wonders in our lives. Let me give you one more. Sergius Paulus in the New Testament. This is Paul on his first missionary journey. He's just getting started. And he's giving his testimony, so to speak, to Sergius Paulus, this proconsul of this particular area. And as he's giving his testimony, there is this, there is this uh, mu- uh, uh, a magician, a uh, false prophet, who comes along and starts to detract or distract Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. And at one point, Paul has just simply had enough of it. And he responds to him by saying this. He looks at, he looks at um, this false prophet and he says, You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. And here's the response of the proconsul in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. There are some that would say that the church doesn't need signs and wonders anymore. Because we have the scriptures. Guys, I want to declare to you that we need signs and wonders confirming the word more now than we ever have needed them in the past. That God wants to do something new, something fresh in our midst, something fresh in the world. And part of that is going to be around miracles, signs, and wonders. As a witness for Jesus Christ, this is primary to our proclamation, is that we are giving a testimony of God's grace, a testimony of God's miracles, because that confirms his word. So that's number one, a testimony of miracles. Here's the second thing, a testimony of his resurrection. No matter what we share As witnesses, we have to remember that Jesus is the central figure. That Jesus remains central. Paul said, I preach Jesus. We preach Jesus and the cross of Christ. And in this sense, Jesus still remains the center. Listen to what... Let me see if I can find it quick. Here's what Luke records of Peter saying in Acts chapter 3 out of those verses I just read to you, 14 and 15. I think they'll even come up here in a moment. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, 
but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. So in this section, the second thing that he speaks of is this idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there is a resurrection, that this is truth, that this confirms, this is the ultimate sign and wonder. That Jesus did raise, or God did, God the Father did raise Jesus from the dead. And here Peter says, that to which we are witnesses that we have seen with our own, own hands. So the resurrection needs to be primary. Jesus needs to be center to our, to our testimony. There are times when it seems like Jesus becomes incidental. And it's more about the life that we used to live and that sort of thing. But make Jesus the center of your testimony. Make the resurrection the center of your witness. So there's this testimony of the resurrection. Number three, there is a testimony of judgment. Peter says this a little bit later there in Acts chapter 3. He says these words. Um, Starting in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him who shall give heed to everything. He says to you, and it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. Peter is saying this, that there is coming a time where judgment is coming to the earth. There is coming a time when everyone, uh, the living and the dead, will give an account for the life that they've, that they've lived on this planet. It's said in different ways. Paul also talks about this judgment. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come with Felix, he became frightened and said, Go away from me, the present for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Again, speaking of it, Jesus' testimony is full of the judgment to come. In fact, Jesus, in the later chapters of Matthew, tells three parables about the judgment to come. Um, one is the parable of talents. One is about the goats and the sheep. And uh, another one eludes me at the moment, but these three parables, he's talking about the judgment to come. And one thing we see in all of these things is, number one, the suddenness of Jesus' return and the judgment that follows. And the second thing is the surprise that people feel when they're left behind. That they thought for certain that that they would be included. And it comes as a shock and a surprise and even as unbelief that they're left behind. Jesus said it this way. In that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not do this? And Jesus will say, go away from me that I never knew you. In fact, after reading these three parables that Jesus talks about, one is left with a little bit of sense of despair. It's like, how, how, could, how, could I ever, how could I ever get to heaven? How could I ever have eternal life? How could this ever work out? I mean, this seems, the, the bar seems so high. How could we ever make it? And Jesus responds 
With man, these things are impossible. But with God, these are possible. Guys, listen. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus has come to save us from that judgment. And so the final point is this, a testimony of salvation. So Paul here finally, or excuse me, Peter here finally says this at the end of chapter 3, verse 26, for you first, God raised up his servant, speaking of Jesus, and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And Early on in chapter 4, he says, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter is saying that this is the only way. Although judgment might be severe, God has provided a way out. There is first bad news with the gospel, then comes the good news. The bad news is this, is that the wrath of God will come upon the earth. That there is a day coming in history, still in front of us, that God will judge the living and the dead. And that we will be held accountable for all that we've done in this life. But there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. And so, so Peter ends his, his testimony with this, is that, is that yeah, things, things look bad for you. Because you crucified the Savior. You disowned him. You, you, you put him to death. And every time, every time Peter would do that, I would, just, I would just like cringe. I'm just like, Peter, you're so antagonistic. This is why you're always in jail and people are beating you up, you know? It's like tone it down a little bit. And then I read this story of a man who was, who was imprisoned during... Um, World War II in Nazi Germany. And he was a preacher. And he was preaching against the things that Hitler and his people were propagating amongst the people, essentially how they spoke of Jews and these sort of things. And he was a spokesman and would not let it go. And so he spent time in jail, time in prison. Family and friends would come to visit him. And they would coax him. Why why do you have to be so antagonistic? Why do you have to point out everybody's uh, wrongdoing? Why can't you just be quiet about these things and preach nice things? And finally, his, a companion of his, a fellow minister, comes to him one day, and he's going down the same line. You should not be imprisoned. You should not be doing this. You, all you have to do is just be a little bit more, a little less antagonistic. That's all you have to do. And he ended, his, he ended his, his discourse by just simply asking, why are you in prison? And this preacher, with conviction and compassion, looks up, and asks his friend, can I ask you a question? Why aren't you in prison? You see, there is something about our witness that is bad news. Something that we have to tell the world that will come across as kind of like, well, you just think you're better than everybody. But we have to first understand the bad news to get to the good news. It's only good news because of the bad news. 
That without Jesus, we are lost. That we are, we are, we are um, eternally lost. But with Jesus, Jesus saves us and brings us to himself and, and not only gives us life eternal, but life abundant in this life. That's the testimony that we have. First, uh, a testimony Let me find in my notes. A testimony of miracles. A testimony of resurrection. A testimony of judgment, a necessary part. But finally, this testimony of salvation, that it is God who saves. Peter says here, he gives these three parts to this salvation. Acts 3.19 is the key verse where he says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here is what we're to say. Repent and return, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So it's really these three parts, repent, return, and belief. Paul says that, in, or uh, Peter says that in Acts chapter 10, that we believe for the forgiveness of sin. So it's repent, return, and belief. So this first part, not in any particular order, but this first one is the idea of return. And remember that he's speaking to the Jews here, that they have disowned the Christ. And he is simply saying, return back to him. Return back to him. Put your, put your mind back on him. Have a change of mind. Turn from the way you're going and turn back this way. So it's that idea of return. And then it's this idea of repent as well that we put those things behind us. We look away from them, and now we're heading towards Christ. We're repenting. And then, of course, this aspect of believing that ultimately we believe in Him. Not just, not just the idea of mental assent, that, yeah, we would say, yeah, Christ existed, Christ walked the earth, Christ died on a cross, those sort of things, but where we actually put our faith in him, where we actually trust him, that is the gospel, that we trust him for our salvation, that we know there's no way for us except in Christ, and so, so we put our faith in him, and we trust him. So guys, let's go ahead and stand to our feet this morning. If you just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord, I just want to pray with you before you go. As your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, maybe you're here and for the first time you realize that you need Jesus in your life. For the first time, you realize that there's no hope for eternal life or abundant life in this life without Him. And this morning, you want to make that decision. You're going to take yourself off the throne of your life, and you're going to put Christ in His rightful place on that throne, that He becomes Lord and Savior of your life. And you do it in just this way. You don't have to, you don't have to join a church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to be a certain height. You don't have to be a certain weight. You don't have to do any of these things. And listen now. Listen. You don't even need to be good. You can receive Jesus 
in this moment just by believing that he was who he said he was. And so, Lord, for that one or two or maybe a few this morning that are making that decision for the very first time, Lord, we pray as a body of believers for them. We pray that you would quicken this decision. We're praying that your Holy Spirit would come in such a way that it would begin a house cleaning that would begin today and carry on for many, many, many years into the future. That their lives would be transformed. That this would be a day of deflection where they've come in one way, but now they're leaving in a totally different way. Lord, let it be the case by the work of your Spirit this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if the truth be known, it's been a long time since you've given testimony as a witness for Jesus Christ. That you just haven't been that aware of those around you. And the Spirit of God that is inside you, that same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You just haven't been aware. But this morning, because of the things that you've heard, because of the things that the Lord has spoken into you, now you want to take that place. You want to take your appointed place to be a witness for Christ and to give testimony of the things that you have seen and heard. So, Lord, we're praying for one another this morning. We're saying thank you for sending your word into our hearts. Lord, we're saying thank you for the Holy Spirit that shapes us and molds us and makes us into what you want us to be. Lord, we say thank you for making a way for us to testify both by signs and wonders and, and the empowering of your spirits. Lord, make us the people you want us to be. Make us the people you want us to be so that we can do the things you want us to do. Lord, let it be the case this morning, we pray. For those in the front and those in the back, those on my right, those on my left, Lord, leave no one out this morning, we pray. So we're going to close with this song. I'll be back in just a moment to pray a prayer of dismissal, but let's sing this song first. So immediately after the testimony of Peter in Acts chapter 3, 3,000 people came to Christ. Soon after that, it was 5,000 people that came to Christ. And the church grew exponentially for the next 75 to 100 years in that manner, just that kind of growth. Churches were planted, people were coming to Christ. By the year 50 A.D., just a few short years after this passage we read this morning, by 50 A.D., the gospel had already reached India. That the Apostle Thomas was already there. Baptizing believers. By 60 A.D., the gospel had reached the borders of China. And in the year 200, 
Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, spoke and said about the gospel that had made its way into every home, into every workplace, into every strata of government, in the marketplace. The gospel had gone everywhere. The only place yet to be conquered were the temples of the pagan gods. Everywhere else, Christ was being named. Adolf Harnack, a Christian historian, church historian, said the church, the growth that the church experienced during this time was not because of evangelists and not because of pastors. And I might add, not because of prophets, not because of apostles, not because of teachers, but because of simple, ordinary, courageous witnesses for Jesus. That they went out and they told people what Jesus had done in their lives. And guys, that changed everything. So Lord, I send your people out from this place in the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, they are already equipped. They are already anointed. Now just enlighten their minds that they might see the opportunity and the ministry that you would have for them yet today. Maybe even at lunch it would happen, but certainly in the days ahead. Lord, alert us and sensitize us to our mission that you've put upon our hearts. And Lord, by your grace and your mercy, we're going to go out and we're going to do it. And we pray it all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Jesus.